Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. The chase is on. And you know what? It's for an incorruptible crown. It's for eternal happiness. It's for eternal reward. It's for the smile of God. And that can only take place if we flee youthful lusts and desires and we pursue godly character, righteousness. We're to be in hot pursuit of godliness. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. What does it mean to live a life worthy of God's use? You may be surprised to learn that your talent, intelligence, and resources have nothing to do with it. Today, Philip DeCourcy reveals what the Bible says about what it takes to be fit for use in God's kingdom. It's the conclusion of a message called Fit for Use. And if you missed the first part of this lesson or would like to catch up on another lesson from the Without Apology series, you'll find them online at ktt.org. Now, Here is Pastor Philip. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. And one of the key words in 2 Timothy is unashamed. And so we've entitled the series, Without Apology. We need to be men of God and followers of Jesus Christ who live our life and our commitment to Christ without apology. We live in a culture that's trying to beat us into submission. We live in a culture that's trying to silence our witness, trying to push us out of the public square into a kind of private corner. And we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to go quietly. We're going to live a life without apology for Jesus Christ. And so here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 20 through 22. It's a sermon I've entitled, Fit for Use. Fit for Use. We should be driven and defined by a burning desire to be used by God. Whatever the place, whatever the plan, whatever the price. Now listen to this, guys, as we get into the text. The instruction of this text and the implication of this text is that God uses cleansed vessels. Those who flee sin and those who pursue godliness. That's clear from the text But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some of honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful, prepared. And then he goes on to say, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness. Look, if you want to be used for God, don't worry about being brilliant. Don't worry about being eloquent, able educated, relevant. Worry about being holy. Paul is introducing to us another image. If you've been following me along in 2 Timothy, you'll know that Paul has introduced several images that speak of Christian leadership and Christian service. He has talked about the Christian being a trustee, a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a workman, and now a vassal, an instrument in God's hands. Here's the idea. A life that God can pick up and use. Is yours a life that God at any moment can pick up and use? Is it clean enough? Are you prayed up? 
Are you in the Word? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you under biblical leadership? Are you part of a local church? Is yours a life that's serviceable, usable? Or yours is a life that's out of service? I mean, you've all had that experience. It annoys you to no end. You're in the office on Monday morning. You go over to the photocopier, and there is a piece of paper stuck on it, out of service. You drive into a gas station. There it's hanging on the pump, out of service. It's kind of annoying. How do you think God feels when he comes to look at your life and theoretically it's hanging around your neck, this notice, out of service? I'm just kind of not in the place, Lord, where you can use me. I'm not reserved for you the way I should be. And God has to move on to someone else because at this moment, you're not ready. You're not useful. You're not serviceable for the master's use. Ephesians 2 verse 10, right? God has prepared works for you to do. We've heard of different things here today, men from all kinds of walks of life, truck drivers and councilmen and businessmen and doctors. Those are works that God wants you to do for His glory. And there's service in the church and there's service out in the community. The question is, God wants to use you in a particular way to glorify His Son, bless your neighbor. Are you ready to do it? Are you serviceable? Are you reserved for God's use? Edmund Hebert in his commentary in 2 Timothy says this of this phrase, it speaks of a life fully equipped and ready to take advantage of each opportunity for service which presents itself. Life in a state of readiness for every kind of beneficial activity in the Lord's cause. Is that the kind of life that yours is and mine is? Reserved, usable, serviceable, and ready to jump at the Lord's command? Paul's writing this, isn't he? And he exemplifies what he's preaching here over in Romans 1, verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So much as is in me. Man, that's passion. So much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also from that ashamed of it. And he was just waiting for the opportunity to get to Rome. Now, he would get there, not the way he thought, if you study the book of Acts. But he gets there, and he's ready to get there, and he's ready to preach. He's serviceable, he's ready, and he's set aside and reserved for the master's use. Is that true of you and me? Whatever the place, whatever the plan, whatever the price, Lord, I'm ready. I'm at a place in life where I'm seeking you, loving you, and I'm ready for something new in my life. I want you to do a new work in me, and I want you to do a wider work through me. I'm ready. You know, the military speaks about a state of preparedness. There's been some questions in the latter years here about the state of our military. Are we ready? In fact, Bob's here today, and a couple of years ago, his son invited us down to Coronado Island to spend a day with the Navy SEALs. His son was a lieutenant in the Navy SEALs then, and we got the privilege of enjoying a friends and family day, and so we hung out with the best of the best. Got to see some of their equipment, fired some of their weapons, and we got shown around. I remember, as I thought about this text, I remember an incident where we went up to the second floor of the building there on Coronado Island in the SEAL base, and his son took us into an area, and there were just cages, lines of cages, and he had his own cage. 
He opened the door and inside were all kinds of equipment, desert boots, winter boots, all kinds of equipment so that when he would be in San Diego somewhere, get the call that SEAL Team 7 was going somewhere, he would go to his cage, get his gear because he was prepared for any eventuality. There was a preparedness there. Every SEAL in that base had their own cage and they kept their equipment in good repair. They bought some of their own equipment. They were always in a state of readiness. So when the call came, they ran to the station, grabbed their gear, and boarded the helicopter. Now that stuff gives me goosebumps. I love that kind of stuff. But I got to bring that into my spiritual life. That's what Paul's saying. Are you reserved? You on the Lord's side, are you marked out for his use? Are you ready for combat, ready for service at any moment? I hope so. Hope that's true of you. Hope that's true of me. Finally, you've got the picture, you've got the purge, and then you've got to pursue. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He now elaborates. He's kind of given us the big picture of what it means to be a vessel that's honorable one that the master can use. But he moves from the kind of metaphor to direct commands. And here's what William Hendrickson says here. The way to cleanse oneself is to become detached from that which is evil and attached to that which is good. Because you see, sanctification is negative, but it is positive. You need to remember this. Sanctification is when the Lord separates us from a certain life and separates us onto a certain life. So there's a turning from the flesh to a walking in the Spirit. There's a putting off of the old man and there's a putting on of the new man. It's an about turn. That's what repentance is. But while it's an about turn, it's a forward march. And so in this pursuit, we've got two things. There is a fleeing and there is a following quickly. Verse 22, Flee. Now, guys, this is interesting. This word is really the word for fugitive. A fugitive is someone on the run. And in the case of fugitive, generally speaking, on the run from the law. Kind of a negative picture in that sense. But Paul takes it and he says, no, I want you to be a fugitive from lawlessness, from sin, from the things that offend God. What is a fugitive? A person on the run. Write that down. You need to be a person on the run, on the run from sin, anything that pollutes your soul, contaminates your mind, useful lusts. Now, some would argue this could probably speak to sexual desire. Timothy was a young man. At this point, one would assume he was single. He was red-blooded. And so Paul is saying, hey, guard yourself, Timothy, sexually and morally. But I think that is too narrow a thought I think youthful lusts or youthful desires speaks of the headstrong passions of youthfulness, which are dangerous in leadership. That's why Paul will say in 1 Timothy 3, 6, don't let a novice, don't let a young believer in the leadership because they can be given the pride. Young leaders bring something to the table that's excellent. They bring passion and new ideas, but they can bring headstrong desires that are marked by impatience and pride and get out of my way. They can be often independent, not a team player. 
And Paul's kind of saying that to Timothy. You know what, Timothy? You need to fight pride, money, ambition, impatience, and competitiveness. Whatever the case, whatever this youthful lust is, whether it's sexual desire that goes to a place that's outside the will of God, or those things that can mark a young man, pride and competitiveness, Timothy's not got to linger in the presence of those things. He's got to run. He's got to take to his heels. He's got to give no quarter to sin's advance. Are we a fugitive or a friend to sexual or sinful temptation? Do we make it hard for temptation to get a hold of us because we're running from it? Or do we make it easy for temptation to grab us because we're staying within arm's length? We need to be running from others and running from our own selves because sin is an inside job. Now, there are people we need to run from. Hymenius and Alexander would be two in the case of Timothy. There's false teachers. There's bad people that can contaminate us. Bad company spoils good morals, says Paul to the Corinthians. So there's people we need to run from, and there's situations we need to run from. But you know what? We need to run from ourselves because our flesh, our sinfulness, is what the Puritans called the traitor in the castle the traitor that opens the door and lets the enemy in. And our sin nature, our indwelling sin, our flesh, that has an appetite for those things other than thirsting for God and righteousness, it sometimes acts like a spy in our castle. You know what? You need to be very distrustful of yourself. You need to run from your old self because sin is an inside job. Doesn't James tell us that? James 1, 13 to 14. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. It's an inside job, guys. We've got to sit on ourselves, police ourselves, watch ourselves, run from our old self, flee that stuff. When I was back in the UK, I was there around the time of the Falklands War when the UK engaged in combat with Argentina. And we owned the Falkland Islands, and Mrs. Thatcher was one of my heroes. And I remember her putting out the order to the British troops that were under threat from the Argentinian invasion. She put out the order, bomb the runway. They were in Port Stanley, and ultimately it would fall to the Argentinians for a while until the British recaptured it. But Mrs. Thatcher said their own troops about their own runway, bomb the runway. Why? Because if it was going to fall into enemy hands, they weren't going to be able to use it to launch further attacks against the British who were coming to liberate the Falkland Islands, which belonged to Britain. And you know what? That's what Paul is saying to Timothy, bomb the runway. Whatever area in your life is a landing strip for sin, bomb it. Don't let the enemy land, whether it's power, pleasure, possessions. So there's a fleeing. And finally, there's a following. There's a following. Notice the conjunction. Flee youthful lusts or desires, but this is moving from the negative to the positive. So we're to turn from sin and we're to pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a running from, and there's a 
running after. In fact, this is a strong word again. In the New Testament, it's used to describe the Egyptians pursuing the Jewish people as they leave Egypt and are caught up against the Red Sea. It's used of a hunter. You guys that hunt, you chase. You're after some prey. And that's the word. And we're to take that passion, that focus, and we're to target righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We're to be, if I may put it like this, we're to be in hot pursuit of godliness. When I was in the police, I got the opportunity to be in a couple of hot pursuits, a lot of fun. Although not too much fun in an armored Land Rover that can only do about 55 miles an hour. But hot pursuits. And that's the idea. We're in hot pursuit of the life that pleases God. I'm not going to explain these terms in any depth because we've got to wrap up here. And I think I can just summarize what we're after here. Righteousness. Well, that speaks of godly conduct. That speaks of behavior that complies to the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith. Well, that's a confidence in God's promises. That's a seeing the unseen. That's looking at a situation, but not through the eyes of perception, but through the eye of faith that sees, you know what? This seems impossible, but God is able. Love is an action and an attitude towards others that seeks their highest good at the cost to yourself, puts others first. Peace, well, that's living in harmony and unity. So here's what Paul is saying as we wrap up. Guys, be in hot pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace, which speaks of a right behavior, a right perspective, a right attitude, and right relationships with others. That's what you need to be pursuing right now. And guys, I hope you are. 2015, my beloved Ohio State wins the national championship. But you know what? The story of that, I was reading it recently in a book called Above the Line, which was written about the year that the Buckeyes won the 2015 championship. And Urban Meyer writes this book, and he says that that night in January 2015, when they beat Oregon, the genesis of it was two years earlier. He was in his first year at Ohio State. They had been dealing with a bowl ban on that first year. And so during bowl season, Urban Meyer was brought on to be like a commentator with ESPN. And he was part of the crew that gave commentary on the national championship back then between Alabama and Notre Dame. And he said that was the night that changed everything for him. As he watched from the sidelines, as he commentated, he was struck by how good Alabama was. You know, crisp snaps, commitment to every play, working as a unit, and on and on he went. And it was proved in the fact that they crushed Notre Dame 42 to 14. And as he left the Sun Life Stadium that night, he realized that if ever Ohio State was to get to a national championship, they would have to go through Alabama. And he concluded that night that Alabama was the best college football team in the country. Not the Buckeyes, not anybody else, Alabama. And you know what? They looked like they were going to be like that for a while. And if you're going to get there, you got to go through them. And so that night he texts all his coaching staff and every player on the Buckeye roster. And here's what he texted them that night, two years before they would ultimately win the national championship. The chase is on immediately because we are not the best team in the country. Alabama is. And the next season, 
They had a large flag draped on their playing field and in some of their gym and training facilities with those words, the chase. And if you Google or you go to YouTube and you watch the night the Buckeyes beat Oregon, you'll hear Urban Meyer say the chase is completed. And in the book, here's what he said. It was a chase to close that gap. The chase to beat the best so we could become the best. It was purposeful and intentional. And everything we did, we hoped to do to that end. If we were to be fully aligned and giving all for each other, driven and committed to pursuing the shared purpose, which was ultimately to become national champions. Guys, the chase is on. And you know what? It's for an incorruptible crown. It's for eternal happiness. It's for eternal reward. It's for the smile of God. And that can only take place if we flee youthful lusts and desires and we pursue, we chase, if we're in hot pursuit of a godly character because that equips us to be men who are sanctified, fit and serviceable for the master's use, prepared for every good work. This knife lady, just like so many Christians I know, stainless but useless. I hope you're not a useless Christian. I can't think of anything worse. Bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, loved by God, called to works that God has prepared for each of us to do. Amen? Lord, we, we realize the chase is on. And this morning, men will get up and they will pursue careers they will pursue political acclaim. They will pursue notoriety. They will pursue victory on the sports field. And Lord, some of that's not necessarily evil. But we take all of that thought of chasing and pursuing and we apply it to our Christian life. And for us, we get up this morning and we are chasing, pursuing maturity, likeness to Jesus Christ a life of godliness so that our lives can count, so that when we leave this earth, we leave a vacancy. Lord, keep us from the tragedy of becoming a useless Christian. For we pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, amen. You're listening to Know the Truth and the conclusion of a message titled Fit for Use. If you missed any of today's lesson or would like to replay another, We've made them easy to find and listen to at ktt.org or on the KTT app and podcast. Well, we just want to take a moment to thank all of our faithful listeners. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the gospel with a world in need of truth so that believers can steer clear of dangerous teaching that twists the Word of God and access solid Bible teaching that strengthens and properly equips for life storms. As a listener-supported program, your donations make this possible. As you support Know the Truth, your donations cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute this Bible teaching program on the radio and the internet. And this month, we'd like to invite you to partner with us by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These faithful supporters give a monthly automated gift to Know the Truth and receive exclusive benefits in turn. You can learn more by calling 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. When you give, you'll receive Living by God's Promises. This book will help deepen your Christian life by drawing from stellar Puritan treatises on divine promises from God. It features powerful revelations by Andrew Gray, Edward Lee, and William Spurstow, offering them in contemporary language for today's readers. 
It's a book you'll want to reread and share with others. Also, when you become a Truth Ambassador, you'll receive the brand new Know the Truth shirt as a wearable reminder of your important role in this ministry. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org today. But before you go, be sure to link up with us on social media. You'll find us on most platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. As Christians, most of us have heard that we've been redeemed. But do we understand what that really means? Find out tomorrow as Pastor Philip begins a message titled, At Your Service. That'll be Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Yeah.